VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost podcast, a proud member of the Armchair All-American Network. The first 16 minutes and 31 seconds of this contest pretended an all-too-familiar cataclysmic post-bi-week engine failure as evidenced by seven yards of offensive production. Then the languid performance of the Pittsburgh football Steelers gave way to a resounding, glorious offensive explosion culminating in the decimation of a team that had once challenged the notion of our hoped-for dominance in the dimming light of the Killer Bee era. It's October 29th, 2018, episode 62. This is Tom from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. And we are breaking out the IPAs tonight in the bacchanal of frenzied relief and happiness as the Steelers vanquish the upstart Cleveland Browns, 33-18. to 18. Hooray. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Bob. Another day of a happy podcast, everybody. We got another victory on our hands. And we don't mean uh, IPA as in the international phonetic alphabet as you classical musicians out there listening might think we are talking more about the hoppy weedy version of celebratory beverage because the steel men are firmly relatively firmly in grasp of first place as a result of an actual win this week instead of just pure futility from the other teams but with the browns loss and of course subsequent firing uh, of their head coach and uh, turd haley uh, the Bengals squeaked out a win, but the Ravens in a little tailspin right now, losing to the, to the Carolina Cam Newtons and scheduled to play said Pittsburgh football Steelers this coming week. Huge opportunity for the Steelmen to take the division by stranglehold. You said a word that uh, caught my ear. Huge, huge, hue, hue. Ring a bell? Huge. Oh, huge. Lack of football knowledge for Hugh Jackson? I don't know. That is some pretty interesting breaking news today. I was trying to wrap my head around. It seems like long overdue that uh, Hugh Jackson lost his job today. Probably two seasons past when he should have. But interestingly, that Todd Haley lost his job. Here's the thing with Todd Haley, and I, I don't see anybody talking about this, right? Because a lot of national media guys gave... The Steelers crap for just bending to Ben's will and kind of framing Todd Haley's departure from Pittsburgh as Ben simply not wanting him there. Now, Ben didn't want him there, but if you look at every single place where Todd Haley has gone, Arizona, Kansas City, Pittsburgh, and then actually on a national television audience on Hard Knocks when he's coaching for the Browns, the dude doesn't get along with anybody. And there were reports that he was going rogue after... Or after uh, Huge Jackson said that he was going to dip his hand more into the play calling, and apparently Todd Haley was just calling stuff on his own, maybe not checking in with the coach. I don't know how exact those reports are. But regardless, everywhere the guy goes, there's a problem. And everywhere Hugh Jackson goes, the teams lose. He has the second lowest winning percentage as a head coach in NFL history behind some guy who coached in like the 30s. So – This was 
everybody knew this was going to happen at some point. Honestly, it's good that they didn't wait till the end of the season. That would have been a total disaster because now they get to kind of wrap their heads around um, looking for the next coach, obviously. I guess, I don't know what the what the deal with the Browns was. Did they want to let Hugh have like half of this season to see if he could work with the John Dorsey-led like hand-picked roster for the Browns. Obviously this team has much more talent than the last two years. I don't know, but either way, he's not a good coach. Doesn't take a lot of accountability. And yet again, a loss to the Steelers has spurred a Cleveland Browns head coach firing. That's six in a row now. So let's turn this back to the Steelers outpost podcast. The Steelers overcome a familiar slow start. Not only a slow start, which we saw a lot of in the first quarter of the season, but a slow post-bye week start. Yeah, so I guess raise that post-bye week record in the past six games to two and four. I mean, it's no surprise. The Steelers came out slow in this game like they do in most seasons and like they do in most games. They always have this need to break the saran wrap off, and at the start of the game, it looked like the Steelers were going to be in for a long afternoon. Went three and out on the first possession. So that makes – so they didn't go three and out against the Bengals, and they didn't go three and out against the Falcons, those two games before the bye. Every other game this year, they've started with the three and out. And actually, on this game, they converted uh, their first third down, but it got negated by a penalty. So what else did they do? Commit a ton of penalties in the beginning of the game. Then went out. Threw an interception, had a turnover on the second drive. Like, we are, we are like predicting this stuff for you guys. It's like clockwork how often they had done that. So, not only had they been making mistakes in the beginning of the game, but they've been making the same exact mistakes they've been making all season. So, it looked bad. But then all of a sudden, the Browns missed the field goal, another resounding theme of this season for those guys. And then the Steelers just turned it around. And it was, and, and you just saw the regular high-quality Pittsburgh Steelers that we were hoping for this year with Ben making some plays in the second quarter with A.B., and then, of course, James Conner totally stealing the show in the second half. The Steelers were like that World War II movie with the old crusty sergeant who's been beat down. He's been shot four times. He's laying in the quagmire, and there's no one left, and he rises from the primordial ooze only to take his machine gun and destroy everything in sight, which is what the Steelers did for the rest of the game. He is like that guy. Or the Steelers are like that guy. The crusty Civil War. I don't know if you said World War One, World War Two. Either way, they're a bayonet-wielding, non-shaving grease ball who, when they come to life, they can come to life nice. So, hey, this was a this was a great win for the Steelers. Like we said on the podcast last week, you could see them playing down to the level of their opponent. You could see them coming out to a slow start. You understand that the Browns have been close in every game they've been in, but part of us just wondered – was this last overtime game against who was it? The Buccaneers the week before is this the straw that breaks the camel's back? Well, it looks like it was because the Browns basically gave up in the second half. The Steelers last touchdown drive was like 10 runs in a row, no passes. And they were just holes everywhere. Even Jalen Samuels got in on the action. So the Steelers end up winning the game 33 to 18. And it really wasn't even that close because the Browns got a garbage time uh, touchdown. But this is what we expected from them. And they beat the line. They beat the line and the defense played well. I don't want to make a glass half uh, empty analogy here, but uh, it, the Browns were not were not a uh, competitive team in this game, but gratified to see that the Steelers stepped up to the occasion and didn't play down the entire game on defense. 
no, the defense had a really good game. And yeah, you're right. They have some serious issues in Cleveland, but that almost makes me feel better because we know the Steelers play pretty well in good games. It's the bad games you got to worry about. It's the Chicago Bears. It's the Mike Lennon-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. It's losing to Blake Bortles when he doesn't throw for 100 yards in a game. So like I say with the Steelers, it's not so much about their opponent and it's always about them because they play up or down to the level of their opponent. So they did what they had to do. And I think that this defense is starting to actually form a sort of identity and an identity that we were hoping for. It revolves around the fact that, listen, the excellent defenses in the league, which there may not be any, but traditionally good defenses don't have to blitz too much because they're able to generate pressure with their three or four down linemen or outside outside edge rushers. The Steelers have a third and six for the Steelers. That's my technology exploding again. Third and six. Which play was that? (laughs) I don't know. I turned, I hit the browser, crashed it. I don't have my notes anymore. Please. I'm on 13 computers. We had technology problems today. My iMac died. Uh, The Apple geniuses were just a little short of smart today. And I am working off of two old laptops. Sorry. Imagine that. Either way, the Steelers are not able to really generate just a pass rush with their front seven or or excuse me with their front four front three but they've kind of turned back into this blitzberg team that sort of bit them in the butt at the end of dick lebeau's tenure but give keith butler some credit he's revamped this exotic blitz scheme and it totally confused baker mayfield and the browns offensive line they didn't have an answer for it i don't know what the sack total was on the day but there was tons of pressure on baker and a lot of the pressure was from free runners i think hayward and to are playing better in the middle but I do think that this kamikaze style of defense worked well for the Steelers against the Browns. Yeah, there were there were only two sacks, surprisingly, because the Steelers were in the backfield, including Bud, all all afternoon. But they only got to Mayfield Baker twice. Bayfield Maker. Um, we were doing Bay, we were doing Maker Bayfield. Maker Bayfield. Old Mr. Maker Yeah, and, and he made a couple nice escapes, but that's part of what's going to happen against a Baker Mayfield. So maybe you actually get a couple extra sacks if you're playing another team. So I like that. I kept tweeting incess- incessantly like a madman during the game about understanding that the Steelers defense only has so much talent. So they're not going to just shut any teams down. What you got to hope for with a team like this is that they force field goals. You know teams are going to drive on them. You know they're going to score some points, and especially when we get towards Tom Brady and Drew Brees later in the season, some points are definitely going to go up. But if you can take some of those drives and turn them into field goals and give your high-octane offense a chance to win the game, then that's all we can ask for from this defense, and they did a great job of that. Didn't I don't know if the Browns started with three straight field goals or at least two, but when the Steelers were starting very slowly on offense, the defense held them to some field goals, and then they were able to get right back in the game with a with a Ben to AB bomb. So we like that. And then the other thing the Steelers defense needs to be able to do is to create turnovers. Unfortunately, with Ryan Shazier not playing, we don't really have guys who are good at forcing that. But Joe Hayden, gorgeous interception. Baker Mayfield tried to go down the sideline early in the game. He jumped up, high-pointed the ball, made a beautiful catch. We have not had a Steelers defensive player who even – has any idea how to high point a ball since maybe Troy. So it was nice to see it. And this, and the Steelers defense did what they had to do exotic blitzes, forcing field goals and creating a turnover. 
Yeah, and uh, there was some. There was an interesting sort of increase in pressure in the second half. I, I was just looking at Chubb. Chubb had uh, the first half. He had 18 carries for 52 yards, and he got shut down in the second half. Seven carries for 13 yards. So he went from over five yards a carry. And if you remember those announcers, they were just lauding his plus seven yards per carry average coming into the game. He ended up in this game with 3.6 yards per carry. There was a moment there where Chubb did in the first half where Chubb did break off a couple long runs and, and he made some nice plays, but it was really because there were some gigantic holes there for him to run through, which also was concerning. But like you said, they ended up shutting that down in the second half and the Steelers started slow, but they warmed up and they ended up being the team that we uh, expect and hope that they could be. And now they put themselves in great well, position for the next game. Sure. The the defensive line and the linebackers will get dinged a little bit because Chubb did, as you pointed out, Chubb had four splash plays, one of 20, 15, 13, and 10 yards. He did get a couple nice holes there. But eventually, at the end of the game, when you when you look in Toto, he, he was ineffective. And Maker Bayfield was pretty ineffective. I mean, he's inaccurate, but I don't know whether that was his inaccuracy. They were kept again touting his rock and arm or the fact that he was just running all day he his best strength is his accuracy he is a very accurate thrower he's still getting used to the nfl i think because so far in the nfl i think he's only at like 54 52 completion percent so i guess that sort of flies in the face of what i was saying i mean i know he has the ability to be an accurate passer and i think he'll grow into that but uh the game's moving a little bit fast for him i think and the steelers blitz schemes didn't just confuse him I think they confused the coaching staff and they definitely confused the offensive line. So did he miss some throws? Definitely. Yeah. But that's why you hope to see the Steelers finally take care of business against a lesser team. Like they so often do not you a 30. I'm looking at this win basically as 33 to 12 or whatever the score really was before that last garbage time performance. And that's what you like instead of seeing the Steelers eke out wins constantly against teams who aren't as good as them. Yeah, I think uh, what was interesting, we did score 33 points. It's our third highest of the season. I come in always expecting at least 40, but that's that's actually not realistic. We had a high of 41 this season, 37 against the Chiefs, and this was 33. So it was a satisfying offensive performance. So you see the offense coming alive in this game. And again, is it the, the weakness of Cleveland or is it James Conner and the offensive line? James Conner is the man. I think he got the Steelers Digest Player of the Week for this um, for this performance. We've been saying it for a couple of weeks now. The national media is finally starting to catch on. This dude is a top running back in the league, and I've been tweeting it out. James Conner right now is the top 10 running back. I know the sample size is small, but it's big enough at this point. He runs hard. He has an ability to make people miss, maybe not so much in the open field, but – he makes good cuts, and he breaks a ton of tackles. Excuse me. Yeah. I had to cough there, <laughs> and I muted. I just hoped that you would jump in there. I'm dealing with uh, this I cough. I thought our technology. No, the cough is the perfect thing to do a podcast with, but I don't want to cough in your guys' ears because besides the sanitation aspect of that, it's just poor audio manners. So – I was just taken aback by John, James Conner's good game. Dude, look, we're done with the Le'Veon talk now. I, I'm actually under the opinion that even if he did come back, which I kind of don't think Le'Veon would, I don't think that he should, honestly. from it, He has nothing to gain. But 
you got to leave James Conner as the starting running back because you are rolling with this guy. He can do everything, and he is fantastic. Like I said, breaking tackles, catching out of the backfield, making long runs. He's already got like six yards, six runs over 20 yards compared to Le'Veon's one from last year. He just set a Steelers record from the for the first running back with something like over 100 yards and two touchdowns in three games straight, which seems crazy that the bus never did that or Franco or – or even uh, Le'Veon, although Le'Veon's touchdown numbers are always kind of low. But, yeah, James Conner's the man. But, in my opinion, the real player of the game is this offensive line who totally sapped the Cleveland Browns' will to live. Miles Garrett. Forget about Derek Carr the other week. Miles Garrett was spotted sobbing on the field <laughs> instead of chasing James Conner down for his last touchdown. They sapped their will to live, and they kept Ben upright all game. I think he only took one sack, and that was really on him because he held the ball forever. But, man, those holes were humongous at the end of the game, and they just wore Cleveland down. Well, my time to prepare for the podcast is lunchtime at work, and I took the time off, and I went through every single offensive play just watching Miles Garrett to see what he would do to Al Villanueva. And I have to say Al held his own. When Miles Garrett wanted to, he could own out because he would push him low. He would get down at his thighs and push him backward. He would push them backward from his chest up. He could push Al into the backfield. Al, however, figured out a way to deflect that. And Miles Garrett, Miles Garrett became sort of a non-factor throughout the game, either because we were throwing the ball over him or Villanueva was able to, to deflect the rush. So, and Al spent a lot of time diving at <laughs> Miles Garrett's ankles, which turned out to be effective. Yeah, I mean, you might as well. When he had that first sack in the game on Ben, I thought, "Oh my goodness, here we go again." No, what that was, was on. That was on Al. It was on Al. You think so? I he thought totally Ben held it a little while. back on that. Which, well, actually, let's let's give credit to Ben for even hanging on that ball. It might have been on Ben. Villanueva crumbled on that one like a piece of paper, but um, well, that was the only time. Yeah, he did a good job, and part of me does wonder if what we were saying last week about Cleveland playing all these overtime games has really taken a toll on them because it, I, I'm i not taken away from the Steelers here because, like I said, this is uh, this was a great win for them because they need to take care of business. That's something we don't see Tomlin and Ben teams traditionally do, and they did that. But, you know, I do think that Miles Garrett wore down with the rest of that team. Now, we talked about the offensive line. We talked about James Conner, who's a freaking fantastic running back and hometown hero. But Ben and A.B., after a little slow start, pretty much took over the game in the second quarter. I think the touchdown drive, AB had like 58 of the of the yards on like a 60 or 70 yard drive. Classic AB from Ben touchdown, sort of a scramble drill where Ben stepped up in the pocket. Uh, we're down 6-0 and he sort of pump fakes, classic Ben pump fake, chucks it to AB who ran a wheel route, uh, got way behind the defense. I think actually their stud rookie corner Denzel Ward got frozen for a second, peeking in the back foot when Ben did the pump fake, and then he just threw it to A.B. in stride. So nice to see him get another tutty like that. And then the Steelers, best part for the passing offense was the – it wasn't a two-minute drill. I believe it was like a four- or five-minute drill with a ton of plays in there, 16-play drive. I think that's the same one. But they scored yet again 
on a final possession of the first half. And they've done that in multiple games. It's always been a strength with the Ben Roethlisberger teams. He seems to get in a flow in those moments. So do the rest of the offense. And the Steelers finally did something that I've been waiting them to do forever. And they stole a play from one of the premier offensive minds. They ran the Patriots little tunnel screen uh, at the goal line for a touchdown to AB. And, uh, they broke it open, and at that point, basically said, boys, go get yourself some Gatorade. Why don't you suck down a cool Riptide rush on ice, and we're going to let James Conner and the offensive line do the rest of the work. Because after that point, it was just running downhill. But the passing offense did really take over in that second quarter after being anemic in the first quarter. Well, kudos to you. You remembered correctly. It was 16 plays. It took seven minutes to go 87 yards for that touchdown. Well, I thought it was four or five. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, what a great drive. Yeah. Where they have like a six-play scoring drive and then a 16-play scoring drive. And then they exactly. had another scoring drive with, you know, seven straight runs or whatever it is. Great to see them do that, scoring in a multitude or a myriad, if you will. Perhaps a plethora of ways. Excellent. Uh, varied offense. That's what we expect from them. And uh, yeah, great job. So I, if, I, if I may, I wanted to highlight one player, Vance McDonald. Vance McDonald is like a mastodon trampling hyenas left and right, imposing his will on just hapless animals. If a boulder had biceps, you would get Vance McDonald. It's hilarious. It's the most inspiring thing to see. Every week, the dude makes a catch over the middle and tramples over a couple DBs like small peasants cowering in fear from the dragon from the mountainside. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, he's awesome. Kind of a quiet game for Vance. We'll get more into the specifics on the individual player details once we get into uh, the grades later in the show. So let's talk about the disaster that was the special teams. Little running theme here, right? So like we said earlier in the game, you're seeing the Steelers get out to a slow start in the same way that they always get out to slow starts with a three and out and a turnover and a bunch of penalties. Well, this game almost mirrored the first Cleveland game where it seemed like the contest was in hand. And in the first game, James Conner fumbled in our own zone and then all of a sudden it became a ball game. Well, we get a safety on Bud Dupree's best pass rush rep of the entire year. We actually beat his man for sincerely the first time the whole year. And you guys can go check all the other podcasts if you're a new listener. We told you every week, even if Bud gets a sack, he's not beating his man. Well, he beat his man this time. The guy held him egregiously and uh, in the end, some got a safety. Then turns out the Steelers don't know the rules on how safeties work. You get a free punt. Uh, it's basically like a kickoff. Well, Rosie Nix and A.B. are right in front of Switzer. Rosie, for some reason, takes it upon himself to call for a fair catch. I don't think a player is allowed to call for a fair catch and another guy is allowed to catch it. I don't know that rules. Fair enough to me. Maybe I don't know the rules as, as well as I should. But I know them a little bit better than these guys because after Rosie did not catch the ball on his fair catch, Switzer let it bounce right in front of him and it bounced all the way back towards our own end zone and he treated it like a punt. I'm screaming at the TV. I blew out a vocal cord. It shot out of my mouth and onto the floor out of rage. There was blood. I don't want to get too far deep into this. I know it's disgusting, but it's what happened. It's the passion because this guy thinks that it's not a live ball. He thinks it's a punt and the Browns are just going to touch it and down it. 
It's not a punt. It's a live ball. Luckily, Cleveland's even dumber than we are because they could have ran that in for a touchdown and they just fell on the ball with five guys around them. They're so bad. My goodness. But wow. Disaster. So we went from having the Browns pinned on their own, basically one yard line, safety in them in the end zone to getting them all the way down inside our 20. Subsequently, we get a roughing the passer call, get them down to our two yard line, eventually onto the one yard line. At this point, the Steelers gave Cleveland literally 99 yards for free. They didn't gain a yard. They ran a run play in between that free punt and, and, uh, and another play. It lost yardage. So every time Cleveland tried to gain yardage, we wouldn't let them do it. And then we said, ah, just kidding. Here's a lot more than you were going to get. Then Baker Mayfield hits Callaway in the end zone for the touchdown. This is what I was saying with the James Conner thing earlier in the season. But obviously, this is 10,000 times worse because it was just a result of the Steelers not knowing the rules of the game. Danny Smith, special teams. I'm not going to come sure I'm looking at you, bro. And Switzer. Come on, man. Not a great game for Switzer. But will you just give a team who is unable to drive down the field, you literally hand them a touchdown, and then it's a ball game. I think it was 16 or 13 at that point or something like that. So that was a disaster. Sorry. Yeah, and Cleveland ended up starting uh... – Passed their 40-yard line four times. One of those was due to an interception, but two were on punts. That wasn't on Jordan Berry. That was on the offense not being able to push out of their zone. And one was on that muff-free kick. So Cleveland started, I think, an average of their 35-yard line. So they got an advantage there, however hapless they are, and were able to, unable to take advantage of that. The other thing we noticed that from a negative standpoint is our inability to finish plays in the backfield. Once again, Bun found himself in the backfield, stunned that nobody was there to block him. I made it. <laughs> I was unable to finish some. And I also also noticed he was he was not great at contain. He was in the backfield so fast. That's That was how Chubb was able to break free on some of those long runs. Yeah, Bud had his best game of the season in some ways because he was getting into the backfield a lot. Once again, he's playing against a bum left tackle. I can't even remember the guy's name. No offense, guy. I'm sure he's listening to this. But when Bud got in the backfield, he missed two or three tackles where he had the guy completely wrapped up. He missed one right before the safety he made where he actually made up for it. But that's one thing. I mean, Vince Williams missed a couple too. Every team in the NFL is missing tackles now. But the Steelers are just a couple made tackles away from having an even better defense. Because when you create negative plays like that, you, that might be a drive stopper right there when you're putting someone into first, second and 13 or something like that. Instead, the Browns would end up getting a yard or two out of those and get in, you know, second and manageable or third and manageable. So that was just another thing we noted in the negatives column. Uh, one being the special teams disaster and number two being the inability to finish some of the plays in the backfield. So another bit of a negative for us is the mystery of James Washington and his absence and Justin Hunter's substitution. Justin Hunter actually started out pretty well in the second quarter. He had a nice 12-yard out from Ben and uh, followed up with another reception. But then it was downhill from there. Yeah, that's about his uh, his ceiling, is a 12-yard out route for Justin Hunter. Please stop. No more Justin Hunter. Make it stop. It sounds like Ben might have actually lobbied for him to go in because – Ben's always hoping that Justin Hunter turns into Martavis Bryant, but Justin Hunter isn't even Sammy Coates. He's not even half of Sammy Coates. 
For all the talk of him making plays in one-on-one drills, he never can make a play in a game. Hell, he couldn't even make plays in the scrimmages in training camp. The guy is strictly a flag football player. And and when I say flag football, I mean flag football if you're only playing two-on-two. Apparently, I don't know if he's claustrophobic or something like that. But listen, James or Justin Hunter isn't this developing wide receiver. He's done developing. So he had two routes in the end zone, a seam route and a post route where it looked like Ben overthrew him, but both of those were his fault, man. On the post route, he didn't get his head quick enough. He didn't get to his spot quick enough. Should have been an easy walk-in touchdown. And then the seam route later, Ben gunned it to him, and he slowed down and stopped running on the two-yard line and then sped up again. Would have hit him right in the hands if he had just kept running. I'm done with this. I had a discussion with our friend Pittsburgh Sports, who I think changed his Twitter handle to Pittsburgh Takeaways now. He's the guy, uh, damn, I forget his his uh, his name, but he writes all the, he does all the interviews with Steelers players. Uh, good guy on Twitter to follow. I think a Steelers takeaways, like I said. But had a discussion with him um, where I said, I put out a tweet saying, I wish that the Steelers, A, would never put Justin Hunter again and just let James Washington take his lumps in there because I don't think that Justin Hunter gives you more than James Washington and they both don't give you a lot. And he was saying that, you know, yeah, you can let James Washington take his lumps, but that doesn't help us now. Well, my argument is that Justin Hunter doesn't help us now. I don't think Justin Hunter is even as good as a raw, unproductive James Washington. So I hope that experiment is done. At least James Washington a couple games ago made like, dual first down catches over the course of a game. That's all we're looking for from basically, I know it's a number three receiver position, but with Vance McDonald and James Conner on the Steelers, the guy we're looking to fill that spot is really like a number five option. And we just need two or three catches from a game. Before we jump into accolades for our sponsor, I want to note something you said earlier, Nick, about how we are providing these spot on predictions about the Steelers. And where we have been saying that we laugh when people ask us to predict who's going to win, which we, we can't. I mean, it, it's no tough, can't. but we did crowd we, we did crowdsource a question last week. Who would score first in the first half? We had unanimous agreement <laughs> from our fan base that the Stillers would score no first. Price. And didn't we ever hit on that winner? Wait, we did so not we're going to bank that. that. The Browns scored first. Hmm. No, I'm sorry. Scored first. I'm mistaken. Retract. We were going to win by more. We we're going to be ahead by more than seven and a half points, which we were able to accomplish. Oh, see, I was sitting there thinking that we lost the bet after Cleveland scored in their opening possession. No, we're two for two. We did we did bet on the Steelers to win the game by more than eight, check, and to be ahead by more than seven and a half at the half, check. And we are going to plow that. We're going to plow that money back into the podcast so we can continue to bring this to you for free. Love it. Speaking of free, free. Let me sit here. Let me think. What's better than free? Nothing's better than free. You must be coughing. I'm not coughing. I played that off really cool. Nobody knew what I was doing there. That was just a thought bubble. People do that all the time on podcasts. Isn't that funny? Doesn't it make me want to laugh? You know what else makes me want to laugh? When somebody asks me how I'm betting on the games for the upcoming week, I laugh every single time because we spend hours studying the Steelers. With all of our study, we still don't know if the team is going to win, let alone anything about the point spread. But here's something that we are confident in. Ladies and gentlemen, it's my bookie. My bookie offers all bettors in all major markets an entertaining lineup of gaming options. 
They got unique prop bets that you won't find anywhere else, which is a huge plus for you fantasy fanatics. Rather than just having to rely on a whole team to perform in order to win, you can just choose one player to bet on to perform on the or, or, or underperform, maybe, if you're a glass half-empty kind of guy. So all you fantasy sports nuts will have an edge when betting on what we and the biz like to call, and I quote, the game within the game. Basically, it's inception of games. There's a dream which you insert yourself into. You fall asleep in the dream. You have another dream. And you keep having dreams like a Russian babushka doll until you realize that fantasy. Nick. Anyways, take advantage of the in-game live Nick. betting on over-unders on fantasy points scored. They offer a plethora of major bonuses, including welcome offers, reloads, and cashbacks. Would you offer me a plethora? Never mind. You'll find sportsbook promotions and casino rewards and a huge variety of different value-added programs that should cater to most bettors' preferences. My bookie has a great mobile site that is easy to use with a sleek design that offers easy navigation. This is a company whose customer service you can actually access with a phone call, which is nice. Call back or request an online chat. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with, right? Take advantage of generous bonus options. I mean, this is... Generous is an understatement here. I mean, if you make a deposit after 7 p.m. Eastern time, they will give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now and my bookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar, dude. Use promo code OUTPOST25. OUTPOST25. OUTPOST25 to activate the offer. Visit mybookie.ag. That's not .com. That's .ag. No one knows what it stands for, but it's... Sexy, and it gets the people going. Visit mybookie.ag online today, and don't forget to use the promo code OUTPOST25. OUTPOST25. OUTPOST25 when creating your account to claim up to $100. That's $1,000 in free play. Why don't you give them the catchphrase while I cough off, Mike? You play, you win, you get paid. Listen, we're going to do I, – I had a, a lot of fun hearing from a buddy who uh, wanted to encourage us to bet on the Steelers. I'm going to try and look up the line before the end of the uh, podcast and ask you again whether you think we should bet on the Steelers to score first uh, in the game. I love that idea. Are you? Is your lung yeah, out yet? Yeah, it's out. I shouldn't have read okay. that fast. Actually, I'm, I'm kidding, guys. I don't read. I just – I memorized that. Jeez. Oh, that was nice. <sighs> yeah. This is what we get because of the genius bar. Won't let us cut anything out like that. So I apologize to all you guys. I'll be better next week. I make up for it. That being said, I'm playing through a broken face right now. You got to have some appreciation for that. Let's move into the grades. And as we do, we start with Ben Roethlisberger. Okay. Big Ben. Uh, Not too much to go into there. We'll just get the interception out of the way through the interception early. That was bad, man. It looked like a quick developing play that he should have just chucked into the dirt because it wasn't open. He tried to force it into a totally covered Juju Smith-Schuster who wasn't even looking for the ball. That was bad. But besides that, it was a very steady effort. Like we said, an excellent second quarter where he kind of took over when the feet master took the reins off him. Him and AP made some nice plays down the field. Uh, We're still not seeing those scripted deep connections yet that we're so used to seeing uh, because that deep ball connection to, to uh, AB was more of like a broken play or maybe not a broken play, but like a scramble drill kind of thing. But uh, 
it's not something that really worries me. Obviously, you saw Juju make that glorious catch last week on that. Uh, it's just something to monitor. Um, I thought he held the ball a little long in the Garrett sack, but now we're being a little nitpicky. He did have two QB sneaks for first downs, and he had a nice job on that second one. Yeah. This is a little subtlety for you guys in the football football fan realm. The first QB sneak, he snuck right up the middle. No problem. Well, the second time on third and one, the Browns suspected the QB sneak, so they loaded all their fatties right into the center over Marquise Pounder. <laughs> Marquise Bouncy. Uh, Pounder. The, the Pounder. They used to call him in Florida. Anyways, they loaded them all there, so Ben snaps the ball and actually hesitates half a second, takes a step to his right, and then sneaks it for like a full three yards. Even he was so surprised that he got that much yardage, but uh, besides the interception, very steady and actually just didn't really have to do much in the second half. Ben gets a grade of A. A. And let's move on to James Conner at running back. I mean, we probably – sometimes I feel like we under-talk about James compared to what everyone else is talking about uh, in the media, both Pittsburgh and National after these games. But I think that's just because we've been early on the train of realizing that this guy is truly a stud. He's not just a good replacement for Le'Veon. He's a top 10 back in the league right now. The thing that I love to see in this game is he closed out this game and did so strong. Hold on. Make a comment on that real quick because I'm going to die. Well, I actually wanted to comment on something you said earlier. He is uh, a top three running back. He ha- he is third in in rushing yards at 600. Uh uh, Kurt Gurley's far out, out ahead of him, but he is tied for first in touchdowns scored with seven at this point, 4.7 yard average. So absolutely in the top three. I was saying top 10, but uh, you know, cause we still have some room to go here, but top three, man, we'll see by the end of the season. I mean, he's playing like it for sure. Um, I would like to see him start a little bit stronger. Um, part of that might be, you know, offensive line issues and, he might be a Jerome Bettis type back. I mean, most backs get better as the game goes along, but he did not really get anything going whatsoever in the first half. And then obviously Cleveland was gassed in the second half, but you can't take away from what he does. He broke that tackle with the spin move. He's making at least one big play where he's getting the Steelers a first down that they have no business getting per game. And that's what a star does. Last thing on him, black mark, another fumble. That's at least three for him this year. That is definitely a concern if I have any about him. But other than that, he's a stud. Two touchdowns again. Closed it out. James Conner gets a grade of A. A. Let's move on to wide receiver. And we've already kind of eviscerated Justin Hunter. So uh, let's talk about who matters. Yeah, I'm sorry, Justin Hunter. You don't matter. He seems like a good guy, though. He had a great block against Cincinnati. We'll get him that. Yeah, it hurts. I don't want to be a jerk to him, but... Uh, preferred if you know he wasn't part of the game plan either way not a ton of action for them ab very solid in the first half ab threw a block ab threw a block on james one of james <laughs> i saw that i <laughs> uh, hope it didn't tarnish his his ring so i equate that to you got you, have you seen the memes of joe flacco going around when they put uh lamar jackson in the wildcat Joe Flacco lines out uh, in a receiver stance to the sideline. And when the ball snaps, he doesn't even move his feet. He stands planted like a statue on the side. And there's this gif where they cut up all the clips of him doing that. And he's perfectly still in every clip. And actually, nobody's talking about this, but Drew Brees does the same thing in New Orleans when Taysom Hill goes in. They don't even move. Well, if they're really smart, when they get in the playoffs, I mean, the Ravens will. 
But when the Saints get in the playoffs, Drew Brees will take off down the sideline one day. And I think that's, you know, going to get them the element of surprise. I think that's what A.B. did. Hey, you guys haven't seen me block in eight years. And right now, boom, springs it, springs James Conner for the touchdown. Great job. Uh, Juju, two things stood out uh, for Juju. Two plays in particular. Awesome back shoulder catch down the right sideline. I think that was on that 16-play drive. I can't quite remember, but it was just a an A-list receiver type of catch. Shows the type of chemistry that he has been developing with Ben that just keeps getting stronger to make a play like that. And then his great job converting that fourth and one. I mean, he was open, but it was just this little slant route near the end zone at the end of the first half. Ben threw it to him. He bodied him up. Just very solid play by him. Uh, And then my last note here is no more Hunter. Did I get that point home enough? Either way, receivers get a grade of A minus. A minus. And let's talk about the tight ends. I mean, we talked about the rumble, didn't we? Is there much else to talk about? Do we just give them an A-plus for entertainment value? Because I'm starting to laugh hilariously every time Vance catches the ball with the assumption that he's about to emasculate somebody. Yeah, I like what one of the announcers, uh, the adjective that one of the announcers uses, the trample, the trampler. He just, he does. He's like a massive... You imagine a, a dinosaur with the knees up above the, the shoulders and the huge hips being able to just with those massive claws. That looks like Vance, even though he gets a lot of yards after catch, usually they're just clawing over the next guy. He, he talks about wanting to inflict pain upon the defenders. That he does. It was a quiet but effective game as far as the pass game contributions go uh, for the tight ends. But they did have some nice contributions in the run game as well. They were part of that offensive line that really dug the Browns into the hole at the end of the game. Not so efficient in the in the beginning of the game, but they did what they had to do. I'll give them a grade of A minus. A minus. And I just want to note, I told you I was watching Miles Garrett the whole game, and there was one play when um Jesse James had to block him. That's and Jesse James stood up. They they both ran into each other and just looked at each other in shock, like Jesse said. I stopped him. Miles Garrett said, "This guy stopped me." I think uh, Miles, it's unimaginable. Miles Garrett might have already been thinking about the the sack dance ahead of time, and forgot that he actually had to get rid of Jesse James. I mean, the outlaw—he's a gunfighter. No doubt about that. That's what it takes. Let's let's talk about the offensive line. We have talked about the offensive line, other than that initial sack uh, that we also give equal blame to Ben for. It was great protection. Ben had plenty of times. And uh, we dominated in the run game. Just need to look at James Con- James Conner's statistics. We did in the second half. I just There was not a lot of room in the first half. Would like to see that go up. But, man, sometimes that's just how football works. The run game, if you stick with it, it's more effective in the second half. They have been awesome. They were awesome against Cleveland once again. Like I said, my player of the game is the offensive line. They get a grade of A+. Plus. A+. Plus. And the offensive coordinator. The feet master. The feet master is coming along. I'm liking what I am seeing from him. He started slow like everyone else. We started in a lot of these jumbo formations. That didn't seem to work. I was actually sort of initially upset with him calling five and seven step drop backs with these long developing plays because I wouldn't think that you would want to do that against the Browns and Miles Garrett. That doesn't seem to work against them. And and it didn't work at first. But then eventually, I don't know what happened, but he just unleashed Ben on that long drive and just... They started attacking the Cleveland defense, not not really with the cutesy screens, which 
listen, I don't have a problem with screen passes. There just didn't seem to be proper execution or proper timing or rhythm to the play calling. But eventually he just kind of unleashed on them. And and the Steelers have been effective. And he kind of seems to be getting a, a better feel of knowing when to go with the run, when to go with the pass, when to hurry things up. And I just love that he stole the play from the Patriots. Which, by the way, that play was almost intercepted for a pick six. I mean, you can make the argument that the guy, uh, the corner was basically blitzing. He came across the line and went literally through his hands. And I don't know how A.B. kept his concentration to make the catch, but he did. And I I gasped for a moment there because that could have been a disaster. But I guess you can make the argument that that would be a really difficult catch for, for a guy to make only a few yards away from Ben's face. But that being said, Feet Masters really improved. The one bugaboo I have with him right now is please... For the love of all things holy, stop calling screens on third and long. He Every time it's third and long, he calls a screen. I would be really curious to see the numbers on this because when I say every time, it's really close. I mean, it's. It, I guess I get it that you don't need to risk a third and long turnover throwing the ball downfield against the Browns because their offense wasn't moving the ball. You don't want to give them free turnovers, but it's just something to keep our eye on for the future because it's predictable. And we've seen Ben and the Steelers succeed a lot over the years, more than other teams on those third and longs by attacking them. So that's my, that's my one thing on him, but either way, he did a good job. He gets a grade of a, a, so let's jump to the other side of the line and look at the defensive line. Uh, Tua got a sack. Thank goodness. Tua is just so quiet this season. He's come along actually, a little bit in the past seasons. few games. Yeah, he's come along in the past few games. So keep an eye on him. We need him to be a stud like he he's flashed at times. But a couple good games in a row for him. I agree. Yeah, so the defense had good push. It's really hard to break out the defense like you can on the offense because they need to work in such coordinated fashion. But uh, they didn't give Maker Bayfield a lot of time to pass. They were in the backfield. They had great push up front. Anything to add for that? Oh, you must be clearing your throat. Anyway, we're going to give the defensive line a grade of A. A. That one was actually not a throw. That was a a technology malfunction on my side. You guys, we're like running this podcast with popsicle sticks and gum together. I was frantically yelling, no, I have nothing to add. And I uh, added nothing by being on mute. But I agree, A. We changed the op- outside linebackers to edge rushers to bring ourselves up to modern terminology. I, I got to point out the Chubb runs of 20, 11, 10, and 9 yards, that, that's on both the D-line and, and the linebackers. So that would be the only reason I'd downgrade the edge rushers. But as I said, they were in the backfield a lot. Another negative is that there was some overrunning. Ben got, or Bud got into the backfield a little too quickly on some times, and they were able to break out of that 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 B gap or C gap because of that. Yeah. He, I mean, he was dominating his man. He's going to dominate some lower competition, which is at least nice to see him do that, but too many overruns, too many missed tackles from them. And even, you know, people are going to look at the TJ Watt stat sheet again. See, he had a sack say that he's a stud. Listen, I I'm high on TJ. I'm excited about him. Love him. Kind of thought he would be a little bit further along than he is right now. But, uh, I mean, he was unblocked in the sack. Why can't you be more like your brother? I mean, there wouldn't be anything wrong with that. And not, not Derek. Don't be anything like him. He's irrelevant. JJ, that's the one we're talking about, specifically, <laughs> the guy for the Texans. 
that means JJ's average between his brothers. So we give the edge rushers an A minus. Sure. You had something else to no, say? No, no, you said that JJ was average between his rushers. You were confusing your uh, I'm acronyms. sorry, TJ. Uh, so many brothers, so little time. Inside linebackers. So again, we look at Chubb, had some, some breakaways, but generally it was well-contained. I thought the inside linebackers dropped back and covers a lot and were very effective doing so. Yeah, you saw some LJ Fort. I'm always down to see more of him. He's been doing a good job uh, covering. So fast. He is. So yeah. fast, well, yeah. They're, they're getting a little bit of an identity and rhythm on defense, like we were saying before, and maybe the the fan dream of Matt Matthew Thomas isn't going to come true, but uh, LJ Fort being in there, I like it. I do think that Vince missed a bunch of tackles, though, honestly, and he overruns some stuff. He's been a little rough since he's gotten back, but uh, he taketh and he giveth away because he obviously plays with the fire of a thousand suns and a thousand nations. So we appreciate his efforts. He w he did not rank high on the list of tackles. That is true. He had, uh, never mind. We'll go into detail there. So we give the inside linebackers an A minus. I get. Now we move into the defensive. Go ahead. Yeah, I guess I'm like, we're giving them a bunch of A's. I guess they did do their job. It's like nobody really stood out, honestly, besides Hayden's interception. But you're right. I can't really fault them. I mean, like we said in the beginning of the podcast, they did their job. Well, it depends on whether you're a hard grader. If they met expectations, which they did, you'd give them a C. But let's let's just be happy that they, they executed what they had to do. And there were some great plays. And let's go to the defensive backfield. Let's start with Hayden's interception. It was it was so pretty. He had he also had two passes defended, and he held Jarvis Landry to eight receptions and thirty nine yards. Yeah, I think Jarvis Landry is the most overrated receiver in the NFL. Something about his personality just annoys me too. I'll I'll be the first one to admit my bias on that. But that's Jarvis. Everyone wants to say he's a top tier receiver. He's not a number one receiver, and this is why. This is his career in a nutshell. Eight catches for thirty nine yards. He has 110 catches for like 800 yards a year too, you know. Uh, Cleveland's going to need to find an answer for that now that Josh Josh Gordon didn't work because Jarvis Landry, in my mind, is a very high number two. But I'm not taking away from what Hayden did against him. And he made a nice open tackle on a screen on him. Look, looked good. And the silver bullet, man. Mike Hilton's really uh, developing. Silver bullet. And, uh, yeah, he had a really great uh, pass defense where he dove and, and got his hand in there. His uh, receiver caught a couple of balls, but he was right on them. He was kept, he was tackling the catch. He was, and obviously he blitzed about eighteen times in this game too. And I just I'm I'm so amused by Mike Hilton as the specialist blitzing defensive back. I don't know if I've ever seen someone get blitzed at the corner position with such frequency as him, and I like it. That's Tommy Ball. So we got this weird defense where the slot corner blitzes as much as the edge rusher. <laughs> And uh, a big disappointment. One play that really stood out to me was Terrell Edmonds, the the pass oh. interference in the end zone, just not necessary. It didn't exactly wasn't exactly a backbreaker. I mean, the Browns were poised to score in that position. Who was it against? Was it is Darren Fells? Edmonds? No, no, not Edmonds. The, the the Browns player. It wasn't Njoku, was it? It was some scrub that doesn't need to be pass interference. Yeah. Edmonds has been horrific in pass coverage already. It makes you. Listen, a lot of Steelers fans are getting so salty about this, but uh, John Ledyard's been tweeting this a few times, and I had tweeted the exact same thing. We've been going back and forth about this on Twitter. The two guys that we wanted, I don't know if these were our top two graded. I think they were, at least two of our top three. But Justin Reed, 
who got drafted by the Texans, and Jesse Bates the third, who got drafted by the Cincinnati Dirty No Good Convicts. They are playing fantastic. Jesse Bates had a gorgeous break on the ball for a pick six this week against whoever they played, oh, the Buccaneers. And we knew there were more polished pro- pro- uh, prospects right away. I'm not saying Edmonds can't be a good player. He definitely can develop. But it's just so annoying when you had guys who seemed like they were going to be such a good fit available for you at the time of the draft. And you didn't take them and you took this guy who really has shown zero ability so far in pass coverage. He just can't get his head around. He freaks out and he just blankets all over the guys, shades of the preseason there. And like I said, I don't I don't mean to hate on him too badly because I like his athletic his athletic upside for sure. You can tell the way he moves out there. He's an upper-tier athlete, but the Steelers have whiffed on the last three upper-tier athletes that they've taken on defense and not been able to develop them. So it's a little bit of a bummer. I I wouldn't be surprised if Morgan Burnett gets a little more burned now that he's healthy. All right, so defensive backs get an A. Defensive coordinator, I think, as you pointed out, he dialed up a very effective blitz program. We're going to give him an A, and I'll let you rate the head coach. We're going to give Mike Tomlin an A, and the only thing that keeps him from getting an A-plus is just the debacle of the free 99 yards that we gave to the Browns because that's just – that's no good. The slow start, it it didn't – it sort of ended as quickly as it started, so I give him credit for getting out of that. I would be annoyed about him having yet another predictable slow start, but they definitely redeemed themselves early enough. It's not like – they came alive at the end of the fourth quarter. So good job. I like to see the Steelers actually take care of business and not mess around with the team with lesser talent. I just uh, got for now. choked on my delicious hopback. <clears throat> well, the way I handle the hopback Amber IPA is to run to my closet, shove my face into my suits and just cough out loud. Did you hear any of that? Uh, some of the end when you came back. I didn't here. think I so. <laughs> wow. You guys are going to hate us for this. I'm doing a little throat maybe, clearing. Maybe, maybe you put it on so let, this time and I'll, I'll carry it until I have to. All right. Cough. All right. I don't, we should both, I don't know we should both put it on So me. let's, I'm, I'm going to run through the special teams quickly. If you disagree, chime in, but we need to get through this now. Let's talk about uh kick returning Switzer. He averaged 15 yards of punt return and 11, 11 yards on his kickoff returns, which would have been okay, except that he blew that free kick. I'm going to give Switzer a C. Nah, I, I give him an F. Honestly, I, I th- if the Browns weren't so dumb, they would have returned that for a touchdown, and Switzer would have given them a free touchdown there. He had a couple of really nice returns, actually. He's not the kind of guy who's going to give you a touchdown, but he always gets you 15, 20 yards. So happy about that. He had another drop on offense, and he literally handed the Browns seven points. We're just lucky they didn't take it. I think that gets you a failing grade. I mean, that's your basic job as a return man. I know it was – there's an asterisk okay. next to it because it was a rule thing, and I don't think he'll ever make that mistake again. He even apologized for on Twitter. And we at Steelers Outpost are the Switzer fan club. We love him, but got to tell it like it is. Uh, that, that was a colossal blunder. So Jordan Berry – he had a good game. He had a kick to the f- Cleveland 15 and to their four. The other two didn't quite make it deep into their territory, but he was he was kicking deep out of Steeler territory and averaged 46 on his punts. I give Jordan Berry an A. He's, he's, he's come along after that slow start. Boswell, 4-4 four 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 on points after, 
and one for one of field goal. You can't ask for anything more than that. We give him an little, A. Little asterisk. I tweeted this out today. Just a random thought I had while I went about my day. Boswell. He's been able to lay low a little bit since the early season disasters. I think we might be seeing him a little bit front and center this week. He might play another key part in the Steelmen's story when we play Baltimore, who's probably ravenous and desperate after this losing skid. They know they're playing not quite for their season, but uh, almost. I mean, what are they, 4-4? Four and four? They'd be 4-5 and five if they lost this game. It's obviously Steelers-Ravens, so throw the records out either way, but – these things have a way of coming down to a field goal. We might have to see him uh, make a few against a very stout Baltimore defense that's going to be reeling from giving up points to Cam Newton. Hold that thought because I have a pertinent point. The last is kick kick coverage. We um, let them average under 25 yards on kickoffs and under 13 yards on punts. I give the kick coverage team a B-. minus. So interesting you should mention the three points with Baltimore. So I checked mybookie.ag and the line right now is plus Steelers plus three and a half. So the question is two questions. Will the Steelers cover or actually will they win with a three and a half and who will score, who will have uh, the higher score in the first half? They still haven't posted the odds on that, um, on that yet. Man, I wish I I was able to look at the history of the Steelers at Baltimore recently. If I recall last year, they kind of got the monkey off their back a little bit. They had been losing in Baltimore over and over again. And and last year, I don't remember if that's the one where Le'Veon got like 40 carries for a hundred yards, but um, they they got it done. Huh? Well, I, I do think the Steelers are going to win this game, honestly, because I think they're coming together better. I think that losing to Baltimore earlier, is going to sort of light a fire underneath of them. I know that's not exactly strategic analysis, but the Steelers have are a much improved team since that disaster. Now, are they going to win by more than three? Or is this going to be a Chris Boswell last second field goal? Hmm. Hard to tell. You tell us. Tell us. So, Again, we really appreciate you listening to our show. If you haven't subscribed already, subscribe. T- please tell a friend and spread the word. It was really gratifying last week for you to, to get back to us and let you know what the bet should be. So as usual, you can hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Hit Go to our website, which is currently down because we can't have anything other than technological problems, mm-hmm. but we will have it up, SteelersOutpost.com, or shoot us an email, SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Until next week. Thanks for listening. Go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? more confident, capable surgeons, and even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter 
BeContinued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.